Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally, their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece 
of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hello and welcome to the show. I want to apologise that this episode is a day late. We were supposed to be moving into one house sit whilst we're travelling and that got cancelled. So we had a bit of a last minute rush moving into a Airbnb for this week yesterday. So this episode couldn't make it out. But here we are. So today's episode is a really useful episode if you suffer with fatigue, whether that is from just having endometriosis and all of the kind of things that come with endo that cause chronic fatigue, or if you have dysautonomia or POTS alongside your endometriosis, which is common. And if you want to learn more about that, you can have a listen to previous episodes. But today is all about recovering from fatigue, whether you have endo or dysautonomia or really just chronic fatigue, full stop. So this episode is with Dr. Sarah Dufet. She's a doctor of physical therapy, a board-certified neurologic clinical specialist, and a health coach specialising in fatigue and POTS recovery. So not only does Sarah help others get their life back, but she got her life back too, after years of mysterious symptoms like brain fog and crippling fatigue. Her journey inspired her to support other people to also improve their energy and enjoy life again after serious chronic illnesses like endo or POTS have you know, left them exhausted and barely able to get through the day. In today's episode, Sarah and I are talking about how to recover from chronic fatigue with endo and dysautonomia or POTS. And we discuss what dysautonomia means and what specifically POTS is and how it affects the body. We talk about how to get diagnosed with POTS or dysautonomia and the challenges that women and people with endo face when asking for help with symptoms such as a racing heart, chest pain, exhaustion and dizziness. And you'll hear a bit about my experience of that this year. Um, You can hear I get a little bit emotional about it. Uh, We also talk about the personality traits associated with POTS and chronic pelvic pain in both the research that we have and what we see clinically. 
And we talk about Sarah's free key approach to recovering from chronic fatigue and experiencing a joyful life again with these conditions. And I think that this part of the episode is going to be so helpful for you, whether you have both POTS and and endo or you just have endo. So definitely listen out for that. So this episode really hit me hard. Sarah's approach is different from the usual fatigue recovery protocol that we hear about, and it's so much more about joy and less about a to-do list. So I think this episode is going to be really useful, especially if you're struggling right now with overwhelm and you're just like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. I, I don't know where to start. So let's get to the episode. So Sarah, welcome so much to the show. I'm really excited to have you on and talk about this topic today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. And for anyone who's like not familiar with your work, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the the work that you do in the world? Yeah, my name is Sarah Duford and I am a health coach and a doctor of physical therapy based out of the United States. I specialize in helping people who have had their lives turned upside down by serious health issues get clarity and improve their energy so they can get back to doing things spontaneously and say yes to fun, knowing they'll have energy left for the work week. Yeah. I mean, looking over some of our emails and discussions and and your work, I feel like you really get dysautonomia and POTS and that idea of only being able to get done your basic work you know your basic work tasks and essential life tasks and not really being able to have any room for um really living outside of that I feel like that is so true with dysautonomia and POTS so um, I'm glad someone is, is doing that work in the world so thank you you are welcome it really lights me up yeah, I can imagine it's such a it's such a huge issue, um, and I see POTS and dysautonomia a lot with endometriosis. So um, it's it's important that we're covering this because I think people get sick with both of them. They don't know they have POTS. They think it's just endo, and so we can't really reach a point where we're feeling well because we're not really looking after another of the the conditions. If that makes sense. So. Um, yeah, I think it's so important. And we're going to get into all of that today, like diagnosis and et cetera. So let's start with POTS. And I wonder if you could also talk about dysautonomia, because from my understanding, it is a spectrum. Um, my diagnosis is dysautonomia, but it's not full-blown POTS. So it'd be great to kind of talk about POTS and dysautonomia and what the typical symptoms are. Yeah, Absolutely. So dysautonomia is basically an umbrella term that captures any dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. So really it's um, anything that's inhibiting the body's ability to regulate its own functions. And for some people, that looks like having POTS, which would fall under that umbrella term of dysautonomia. And POTS is characterized or diagnosed primarily um, by a tilt table test or what people might call a poor man's tilt table test. So just standing and tracking heart rate. So the defining characteristic of POTS in adults is a heart rate increase of 30 beats per minute, um, or in children, it would be a heart rate increase of at least 40 beats per minute when you're in that prolonged standing position. 
But regardless of whether people have POTS or any type of dysautonomia, generally the symptoms fall under that same umbrella as well. Um, So people typically are experiencing some form of lightheadedness or dizziness, brain fog or difficulty concentrating, fatigue that doesn't improve with rest, difficulty exercising or feeling really short of breath or exhausted after doing tasks that generally wouldn't make a person exhausted, like walking up the stairs, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And then people might have headache, board vision, or feeling like their heart is pounding out of their chest. Yeah, I recognize so many of those. (laughs) And there's more. What's so interesting is the autonomic nervous system really touches the majority of the parts of our body. Um, so people can have symptoms like stomach symptoms or nausea, vision symptoms, like hearing symptoms. It really is sometimes difficult for physicians to capture that too, um, because it really spans the entire body instead of just one system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's really far reaching. Mm-hmm. And this is a complete side note. It's just something that I'm curious about. I mean, just before we started recording, you said that you, you've you healed your POTS and obviously it's defined as a, a chronic condition from my understanding. Um, but so I, there's two parts to this question, I guess. Um, I was recently diagnosed with dysautonomia um, and I have an accelerated heart rate um, and breathing irregularities. Um, I have I have dizziness and still on standing and things like that, but I don't quite fit the the POTS criteria. Um, and alongside that, during those investigations, they found that I have like quite acutely low cortisol levels and sodium. Um, so we're going through the process to rule out Addison's disease. People with endometriosis do, um, ten, it's been shown in literature that we have uh, low waking cortisol output, um, many of us. So I, I think it's just down to having HPA axis dysregulation, but now it's got like really, you know, really, really bad uh, being a busy coach and, you know, doing all of the things. Um, and, you know, sodium and cortisol do have an effect on heart rate and breathing and on the nervous system. And I'm wondering, can though, do you know whether those kind of issues in the body could actually just cause a dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system that then looks like someone has long-term chronic dysautonomia, but actually it's, it's like the dysautonomia is a symptom of another, another issue. And if you can resolve that other issue, the dysautonomia would resolve. Yeah, that is a really great question. My take on things basically is I generally look at everything in a pretty holistic perspective. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding with really anything related to dysautonomia, POTS, that spectrum of kind of catch all symptoms is that it isn't there isn't one particular thing causing it. So it really is just a a label for an experience that doesn't otherwise have a label for it. So yeah, I do believe that um, 
if those other health issues are resolved or if there is something underlying going on, then yeah, in some cases that can completely resolve itself. And I've seen that related to um, like Lyme disease or other mm. sort of tick-borne or even um, mold-related issues is when people do receive treatment for that, then that can improve their symptoms as well. Okay, yeah. Because I think that my take was um, – the the doctor who diagnosed me is, is really one of the best in the country for POTS. And he was amazing because he understood, he understands all of the associations with endometriosis and MCAS and um, SIBO and all of these things. So he's brilliant, but he is an NHS doctor and it was sort of like, you have dysautonomia full stop, right? It was kind of like, this is mm-hmm. it. This is a condition in itself. It's not, there's, it, it, this is it. You have that. But then I, you know, my adrenaline is overcompensating for my low cortisol. So of course <laughs> I have like a faster heartbeat and I'm struggling to breathe properly. And, you know, all of these different things that, uh, and I'm dizzy because my salt levels are low and my blood pressure is low. And so it, I think that we do have this issue with um, Western medicine where sometimes we just label things and then it's like, oh, you've got that, you've got that thing now, full stop. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't look into why that's there and if it's resolved, you know, he was like, oh, you've got dysautonomia and just, just treat it like it's pots, just have some salt. And that was it. That's what I was like left with. Um, Legs, (laughs) legs up the wall, I think. Yeah, that is exactly why I started doing what I'm doing now, because it's this basically rabbit hole of going down these different medical appointments and trying to figure out what's going on. And I find that when people finally land on some kind of POTS or dysautonomia diagnosis, that's what they get handed. It's like, oh, yeah, here's your problem. So go drink more water, eat more salt, and then exercise, and you'll be fine. Mm. And then they're kind of written off and still feeling really, you know, dizzy, exhausted, overwhelmed and struggling to function. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And that was, I mean, that was a bit of a side note, but I I just really interested to talk to someone, you know, a fellow dysautonomia person and just kind of hear, hear your take on it. Um, And if you don't mind me asking what, obviously, you no longer kind of come under I guess how does it work your 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 blood pressure and your heart rate has normalized on standing so you don't kind of come under the POTS category anymore like yeah yeah exactly um I was initially diagnosed with POTS as a teenager and I'm in my 30s now I was able to completely like recover normal functioning um over the process of about four or five years but it didn't go smoothly and I really didn't have a lot of support. Mm-hmm. I got that same feedback where it was like, oh yeah, it's POTS. So just, you know, get moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't easy. It really, it really was horrible. Um, but what I was able to do is just gradually um, build up my tolerance and reintegrate myself into life. And when I was able to make some shifts that now looking back 
that really, I felt like were the key to my recovery. Um, then I was able to not only like go to college as a normal person, go to grad school, have a career. Like I don't have any blood pressure issues. I don't have any heart rate issues. I don't have any um, symptoms of POTS or dysautonomia. And I've heard that from other people as well. And not just teenagers, it, it can be adults too, where they don't necessarily go back for repeat testing. Um, mm. But some people have returned to their specialists and had another tilt table test and it's actually been negative. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Um, it's, and it's really inspirational to, to hear because I think if you're on your own and you Google POTS, um, then you end up just seeing that it, it comes, people think it's like this lifelong condition. Um, and like endometriosis, if you just go to Google and you go to kind of the official, um, I don't know, kind of websites, you just think that you're going to suffer forever. So yeah. it's great to hear that you're not. Um, so I really want to get into your approach of POTS because I think it's really unique and I haven't heard of anyone talk about it in this way, but can we just talk, uh, about the diagnosis um, and whether it's it's necessary, what are some of the challenges? I found it very challenging until I found this absolutely wonderful specialist. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear, obviously you, you're in the States, so maybe it's slightly different, but it'd be great to hear um, a diagnosis pathway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how the medical system might differ for you, but I'll definitely share my perspective on it and um, what I've heard from my clients as well. The biggest thing that I consistently hear is that when people end up coming down with these symptoms like dizziness, the rapid heart rate, extreme fatigue, difficulty concentrating, they go to their physicians and oftentimes they're labeled as just having anxiety. Mm -hmm. POTS can affect, and dysautonomia can affect men and women, but it tends to be more women than men. And so I think that there's just a stereotype of being anxious or hysterical, and people are oftentimes written off for their symptoms. So that can be a real challenge is people start second guessing whether or not what they're experiencing is real. Yeah. Or if they are just anxious or crazy, like they know in their heart that they're not. Um, and they're oftentimes told by physician after physician, after they've had MRIs, CT scans, blood work, um, urinalysis, they're told that everything is normal and that there's nothing wrong. So that is a real challenge for people because they spend a lot of time and money seeking out care from, from different physicians and other healthcare providers um, to be told that they're normal when they know that what they are experiencing isn't normal for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this, like, in endometriosis, I mean, it's bigger than endometriosis, but from an endometriosis kind of perspective in my work, we're very familiar with something called the gender pain gap. Um, I'm not sure where the study was based. 
maybe it was here in the UK, but it's been shown that, um, you know, men are believed over women in terms of their pain, but I think it's so much deeper than that. Um, I think it's, it's this, it's this health pain. It's this health gap there where we are just not believed in the same way as men when we say that we have fatigue or we can't, you know, we can't think straight, we can't function properly. Um, we're dizzy. It's this, this kind of anxiety trope is unbelievable. I mean, I've been having chest pain and palpitations since I was 19. Um, every single time I've been told, um, I was anxious. The first time I was put on beta blockers, um, it was only Christmas this year where I thought I had a heart attack that, um, I mean, I was still, I was still, um, dismissed. I had, uh, ambulances come out on several occasions in the past like 12 months, but to them, everything seemed normal. So it took me going to this specialist cardiologist, um, who, you know, who specializes in POTS, who put me on, you know, he did the tilt test, he did a 24 hour ECG, then he did a seven day ECG and gave me the option. Like, you know, he was like, if we can't find anything with a seven day ECG, we'll do a month. And Mm -hmm. no one had ever done that. So like, you know, the ambulance were coming out. Sometimes it was like three hours after I'd called them. And then they were checking my heart rate three hours later and they were like, your heart rate looks normal. And, And they would be checking it in just that moment. And every single time they were telling me that I was just anxious or depressed. My family were telling me I was anxious and depressed. People were telling me to be more positive. And, you know, my, my, my nan was like, oh, well, the doctors would have checked you if they thought it was serious. And I was like, nan, like they haven't, like this has been, been going on for, for years. This is more than that. This is severe, severe chest pain. And, you know, she's like, oh, well, it's anxiety. And I spoke to my mom, like, everyone's telling me it's anxiety. She was like, well, you know, anxiety does cause chest pain. I'm like, who the, (laughs) you guys aren't doctors. I'm more educated than you are in this. Like, I know the association between endometriosis and POTS. Like, I, you know, I knew, I mean, before I even, the reason I found this doctor is because I knew about POTS. I I have, you know, so many other conditions associated with POTS. Um, And so thankfully I was able to find the right specialist, but someone else who doesn't have my training, um, may have just written themselves off as this is just how I am. My mental health is shit and it affects my heart. Mm -hmm. What an awful experience. (laughs) Yeah. And it, people are initially told like it's anxiety and, you know, think positive, don't be so down. And then when people do go years um, without having a label or without having validation for what's going on, then it also can result in mental health issues as well. Mm-hmm. Because understandably, when you're really feeling isolated and disconnected from you know your family, your friends, and even your body, then you can have issues with anxiety and depression as well. Yeah, absolutely. And grief, like I think a huge amount of grief for, you know, all the, the years that you feel that that you've lost, um, which, you know, I think that's a deeper conversation, (laughs) but there's definitely, there's definitely grief there. Um, and so from a, how do you have any tips for getting an accurate and, you know, as swift as possible diagnosis? 
Yeah, it's it's certainly a challenge. I guess my biggest tip is that you your inner knowing um is really more trustworthy than any kind of external validation for what's happening. So what I will say is that if you feel like something is off, absolutely trust that. Um, And you don't have to have a physician tell you that that's correct for it to be true for you. So I think that's so important because people are um, looking to prove that they're not crazy. And in that process, that can just exacerbate their symptoms when they're experiencing this like fatigue and dizziness. And so trust yourself first. And then it's important to like take note of what your symptoms are and go ahead and communicate those to physicians. But if it feels like it's not a good fit, then that's fine. You don't have to um, go down any kind of medical rabbit hole with any particular provider if it doesn't feel like a good fit and if it doesn't feel like they're believing you. I think that autonomy and really making sure that you are driving your healthcare is so important instead of just going along for the ride down every path that every person takes you on. Mm. And do you, do you think that diagnosis is is necessary? Because the only thing that I hesitate with being a health coach, of course, like I have to be very careful, is is the increased sort. Most mm-hmm. from from what I can see, most POTS management tools are low risk. But obviously, I'm concerned about increasing someone's sort so much if that you know if there isn't actually a diagnosis there. But um, yeah, I mean, what's, what's your take on, on that? Yeah, a diagnosis can be really helpful, first off, for validation that what you're experiencing does have a label. And then secondly, it is helpful to get a diagnosis so that you can be connected with the right supportive team of, of healthcare providers, coaches, um, and specialists in that realm. So with the salt, it it's good to know that that's beneficial. Um, so if you have a POTS diagnosis, that is helpful. So you know to eat more salt instead of um, following a generally heart-healthy diet of yeah. less salt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because normally you're not um, like going to work with a nutritionist or dietitian and they're telling you, yeah, really just, you know, salt it up until it looks like a snowstorm hit your plate. Um, <laughs> And also, there are different medications that can help support people um, with symptom management with POTS. So a diagnosis can be really beneficial so that you can be connected with a physician who can prescribe medication to help you feel better in the short term so you can take action to improve your, your health and your healing in the long term. Okay, that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. 
Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. You've identified some personality types of people with POTS and I mean, particularly uh, like kind of perfectionist, um, high achiever types. Um, I wondered if this was just an observation or if it was in the research as well, because from a chronic pain perspective, um, it has been shown that people with chronic pain are typically high achievers, perfectionists, um, who have typically experienced some sort of trauma in the child in their childhood. It might be small, it might be large. Um, yeah, with this per- these personality type types of POTS, what, what are they? And is there like research behind this or is it an observation? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. So I've read what you're talking about as well, where there's that um, kind of similar personality undertones in that chronic pain cycle. Mm-hmm. This, um, having POTS isn't the same exactly as that, but what I do find is that um, people end up following a similar trajectory to that chronic pain cycle because it does involve similar parts of the central nervous system whether people have POTS or whether they have some other kind of chronic pain from a different issue. So I've read that research related to pain. There isn't, to my knowledge, um, I haven't necessarily read all of the the literature about POTS, um, but to my knowledge, there isn't any particular study specifically citing um, personality types. It's more of an anecdotal thing that's mentioned kind of in passing in some literature and definitely is a theme from the different physicians and other healthcare providers that I connect with as well. Mm -hmm. So more of an observation and not certainly not something that I want people to think is like causing their POTS, Mm -hmm. just more of a, a trend. And you don't have to be a female who's a high achieving student or anything to have POTS. Certainly you can be a male and, you know, get bad grades mm-hmm. um, to have POTS as well. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, w- I wonder if you have any thoughts or theories behind this, but from my person, I mean, I, I fit into that box, um, you know, really hard, hard worker, perfectionist, um, overachiever, kind of burning myself out. Um, and I think that for me, it's always because it's come from, well, besides um, childhood trauma and stuff, it's, it's come from a place of never really feeling well. So not really feeling like I'm keeping up with other people or, you know, feeling like I've lost a day because my brain wasn't that sharp. And so I'm always kind of pushing further to try and catch up. Do you feel that, does does that ring true to you? Yeah, that's... That's definitely a piece of it as well, because really the people who I work with have really high aspirations and are brilliant people who want to like change the world and have a career and a family and all of these different things. And what happens when they have this like fatigue, dizziness, pot symptoms, dysautonomia 
is like we mentioned earlier, they still want to achieve those same things and they have a shorter or smaller window of opportunity um, because of the fatigue to accomplish all of that. So that definitely can kind of snowball, I guess, to being in a place where people feel like they really do need to achieve more in a shorter amount of time mm-hmm. and have really high expectations of themselves. Because if they only feel well for, say, four hours a day, four days a week, then sometimes they feel like a lot of pressure to perform in those 16 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So there are, you know, like we talked about lots of standard treatments, salt intake, um, putting your legs up against the wall a couple of times a day, but you have this, um, much more holistic approach that you've sort of, I think partly based on, you know, the personality types that you see and, and the different people that you've worked with. So, could you take us through your your kind of approach with managing POTS and, and recovery? It'd be great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So I have basically three pillars that I find are really important in helping people go from feeling exhausted and overwhelmed to feeling like they have energy and can do what they want to do and have like live the life that they want to live. The first one is really that less is more. Like we already talked about, the people who generally come to me are people who are oftentimes high achievers. Um, If they're teenagers, they're generally A students on the honor roll, sometimes varsity athletes, or even if they're not in high school, if they are in college or beyond, generally they're people who seek a high level of education or are really looking to grow and expand in their careers. So basically what ends up happening is people who are high achievers fill their lives with all of these different activities and are really go-getters. So when they start having this fatigue, exhaustion, dizziness, all of the pot symptoms, then they're overloaded and their lives basically stop. So once they find out that they have POTS or they're sent down this road to work toward recovering, they have this entire wait list of stuff that they're wanting to do, plus being told to eat more salt, drink more water and exercise and do maybe a few other um, simple things. So then what happens is people are incredibly overwhelmed and they don't know where to start because they have all these different things they want to do and they feel like they have to do them all to like recover and get back the lives that they feel like they might have lost. Mm -hmm. So what I help people do is really focus on what's most important instead of doing every exercise and every possible intervention or solution that's out there on the internet. Um, For example, like a 15 page exercise protocol, (laughs) That, that can be helpful for people, but like, my gosh, that is really overwhelming too. And if you're overwhelmed, that just ramps up your autonomic nervous system. You're more in that fight or flight phase. And you also feel like you are failing um, because you can't possibly do it all. Yeah. So I think the key is just doing less and really focusing your efforts on what's going to get you 
the most bang for your buck and what really aligns with how you want to live your life instead of just doing things because it's what you're supposed to do. Do you have any tips on putting that into practice? So like personally, just being one of these people that you're describing, um, I think it kept, because you're already overwhelmed, I think it's hard to identify what's actually going to give someone the best, you know, the most bang for their buck and what's, you know, best to put on the side um, because you, you just want to try it all. So how would someone kind of know how to scale back and identify what's working for them and what to let go of? Do you have any tips on like how yeah. to do that? Yeah, I think really the most helpful thing is to get it all out of your head and on paper. So it doesn't have to be physical paper. Like you can do it in a a Microsoft Word document Mm -hmm. to really jot down everything that you're doing, everything that you want to be doing, how you're spending your time separate from your recovery. So like, you know, showering, cooking, cleaning, scrolling on Facebook, and then, um, looking at the entire list. And that's something that I do help people with in my one-on-one coaching is taking a look at what's serving them, what's not serving them, and what is something on the list that is like something they think they have to do, but they really don't want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I really think support is critical for that because you, you don't know what you don't know oftentimes. Um, So looking at that list and sorting through it to feel like, oh, I really hate doing that. Well, great. You can eliminate that if you know you already hate it. And um, then taking that list and getting support from different experts or coaches can be incredibly beneficial. Yeah. To help you kind of put it in, put it in place and, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Having that, if you're newly diagnosed, I think having someone by your side is really helpful. Yeah. And the next piece of that, I guess this perfectly leads into my next pillar mm-hmm. um, for recovering from pods is really to put fun first. I think that that is the first thing that goes when people start getting sick and they don't feel well, which totally makes sense if you just get a cold or the flu to like cancel your dinner plans or cancel your weekend vacation. But when you're chronically not feeling well, canceling everything that you enjoy and putting all of your time and effort into the things that you feel like you have to do to move your life forward can really take its toll on your mental health and your energy. So it's important to know what things you need to accomplish to you know live as a human. And also it's really important to make sure that fun is scheduled into your week first and that you do hold yourself accountable to like doing things that you enjoy doing so that you can continue to find ways to re-energize yourself instead of just draining yourself by running down the list of, you know, shower, feel exhausted, cook take a nap because you're super tired and you don't have energy to eat. Um, and then your day is done. Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, this, this resonates with me so deeply when I read this, when we were talking over email, I was like, yeah, this is me over the past 
you know, a couple of years, my dysautonomia has got really, really bad. Um, and my job is heavy, heavy going, um, and has quite a lot of aspects to it. You know, I have one-to-one coaching, I have courses and I have a membership. Um, and so when COVID hit, I was so relieved that I didn't have to keep up with trying to be quote unquote normal with social activities. And then when people started going back to normality and meeting up, I didn't. And part of that was because I I had some other health things that were making my immune system really bad at that time. So I was at risk, but um, and I was just like, I can't, I can't get more sick. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but it was also this huge, like, I, it was taken so much of me to have a social life. How do we begin with that when we're so tired just from our everyday life that, you know, fun doesn't necessarily feel like fun because you're so tired, right? Like I completely agree with you because I know the effect that it's had on my mental health. Like I've become so isolated. So I completely I think you're right. I just, I just don't know how to do that. Yeah. That is a great question because I'm sure everybody else listening to this is wondering that too. And I have, I guess, a a few different answers. I think a lot of people think of fun or think of basically a lot of people can think of fun as this like big outing or big social activity. Yeah. Yeah. Like something. Like, for example, in January, I'm going to be going to the Caribbean and I'm really looking forward to it. And it's going to be an amazing vacation. And if you are really not feeling well and have low energy and are struggling to make it through the day or your work week, then that, like planning a Caribbean vacation and flying across the ocean to get there, probably isn't. The first step um, to adding that in. Something else is to really think about what you enjoy and like what truly lights you up instead of what you feel like you have to do. For example, I'm, I like to be social with people, but I feel really drained by like big social outings, Mm -hmm. by going out for dinner with friends, by going to concerts. It's fun, but I just know it's super draining for me. So I plan for that and also do small things that I enjoy that don't have anything to do with social interaction. I love to cook. Um, So I'll sometimes pick out a new recipe or even look up recipes. And that might be my fun activity for the day is just looking through a new recipe book and jotting down some ideas. Mm. So starting small is really important. And just doing something that, just doing something for the sake of doing it because you like it. It doesn't have to be this extravagant thing where you put, you know, put makeup on and do your hair and go out in public. Like you could just give yourself permission to even watch a movie that you've been putting off because you're not giving yourself permission to do it because you feel like you need to do something else and just do it just because, just because it's fun. Yeah, that's such a good idea. That's such a good point. I think that now you've said that, I mean, I am able to put in some things that I 
enjoy I'm getting better at that it's it's really the social thing that I haven't got back to yet but um but you know like I can I can go to a coffee shop with my partner you know at the weekend that doesn't really take much from me being being with him I mean we've been together for 10 years so it's just kind of like being with myself you know um and I love cooking as well I love baking it does take it out of me a bit so I have to kind of if I'm gonna bake I have to think about how am I going to balance my weekend with that um because I usually feel quite I baked yesterday and I, I I don't feel great today because it I mean I'm that perfectionist type and I made like my own caramel and my own marshmallow and like everything from scratch so um you know and I have to make it all sugar-free and you know all of these different things so I, I over challenge myself, I think, but um, it's all it's all a learning curve. But I think that's actually really helpful to define. Like, it doesn't have to be one type of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that actually, yeah, makes so much sense. Yeah, and part of it too is like I love that you baked yesterday, and and I like to be fussy and make my own everything too. I really don't <laughs> like this format stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not. It yeah. doesn't taste as good. Um, and a part of it too is you might feel tired from those activities. And so being okay with that and not beating yourself up after the fact and going through that self-talk of thinking like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have baked yesterday. That was so stupid. Ugh, I'm so tired. And now my mm. week is ruined because I can't X, Y, or Z. Like that's also where people get stuck. So it's really giving themselves permission to be like, you know what? I baked yesterday and I love baking. I love making my own caramel and it tasted so good. And even though I'm tired today, like that's okay because I did that and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. It's interesting. I've spent a long time coming from everything from an endometriosis perspective. And so it's, it's a lot of new learning with this dysautonomia. So, um, yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, so I'm really excited about your third key because <laughs> I want to know more about it myself. So, um, yeah, please tell us about, about the next step. Absolutely. So my third key is that support is critical. I know from my own personal experience, being a high achiever, like a plus student varsity high school athlete, that people like me and you <laughs> tend to fall into the lone wolf category. Um, so I see this all the time in my clients too, where we're the kind of people who generally take charge. If we're assigned to do some kind of group project in school, we're probably the people who would just want to do it ourselves, um, because we'll get it done better. We'll get it done faster and it'll get done the way that we want it to be done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So like that is really consistent across the board with everyone that I work with. And so that personality trait, um, oftentimes doesn't change. It just starts looking different once you're out of school and in the working world. So, Oftentimes we have a lot of autonomy and we know what we want and we know that we want to get it. So that's how we take charge of our careers and take charge of our health. What ends up happening is that we go down this rabbit hole of medical appointments where oftentimes people, you know, attribute things to anxiety or depression. And 
we are the type of women who are not available for that kind of attitude. And we're going to keep going and moving forward. And when support sometimes is available, we might have built up such a big wall around us feeling like we we have to do things ourselves um, that sometimes we say no to it once it's presented to us. So what I think is so important is that when you find support that's available and feels like the right fit for you um, to really accept it and embrace it and collaborate with people who share a similar mentality and allow people to help you who have been down that road or who might know something that you don't know or see things in a different light so that you don't have to go through that long trial and error process and really repeat the same mistakes or go through that same rocky learning process. Mm. Absolutely. And you have, um, you have a, a program, am I right? To support people. Yes, with yes. I do have a program. This is literally why I became a coach because I saw this happening to my clients when I worked full-time as a physical therapist. I saw it for myself in my own healthcare journey So I created my Fatigue to Free program to help people have support so that they can implement those health and lifestyle changes that align with their own unique needs. And also just get a lot of clarity around how they can continue moving forward in a really joyful and loving and optimistic way instead of feeling like there's this hundred thing long to-do list and they're just a big failure because they only ever have the energy to do one or two things off of it every day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And is it an online program or is it one-to-one? How does it, how does it work? Yeah. Um, so my fatigue to free program is a three month one-on-one coaching program. And there's a, an online component. And what I do for that is, I first off, if you're listening to this and feel like you're curious about it or wondering if it's a good fit, um, there's a link to contact me on my website, which is www.cortexrehab.com. And I love to just have a conversation with people, first of all, to see where they're at um, and to really illuminate what what's possible for them. Um, because sometimes when people have gone down this road of of chronic health issues, they really lose sight of of that hope and and what can be possible um, instead of just like living day to day, feeling like you have to do your work and then don't have energy for fun. So if it feels like a good fit, um, then I enroll people in the program, which lasts three months. And I have a few different iterations of it, depending on what people are needing. Because what I know is that a one-size-fits-all approach really never works for anything. People Mm. need that customized support. So I don't have any um, one-size-fits-all offering. It really is unique to the person, which is why fit is critical. Okay. Amazing. And so, um, obviously you just mentioned your, um, website, but is there, uh, places where people can follow you socially, like on Instagram, where can people find you? 
Yeah. On Instagram, um, they can find me at, at Sarah Dufert. And also on Facebook, they can um, find me at Cortex PT. Okay. Amazing. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such an interesting conversation and I've never actually heard anyone talk about dysautonomia recovery from this perspective. Um, so it's been wonderful to have you on. I've learned so much and, um, I hope that lots of other people listening have learned a lot too. And I actually think that even from, even just my endometriosis listeners with chronic fatigue who don't have dysautonomia, your approach is is really applicable to them as well, actually. Like, I don't see why it couldn't help as well. Yeah, I do. I know we are talking about POTS today and I really do um, work with people with a variety of um, like fatigue conditions or people who are just overwhelmed and tired and don't actually have any kind of medical diagnosis. Mm. It's so, so common and people do need that individualized approach regardless of of what's causing their, their fatigue. Okay, great. So basically you guys listening, you can use these tips and tools, whether you have pots or not, or you just, you know, if you're tired, if you're listening to this podcast, I think you're probably tired. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, use these tips. Um, and thank you, Sarah, so much for coming on. It's been wonderful. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Music.